In the book of 2 Samuel this evening, we will lift our text. And uh, it's going to take me just a few minutes to get to where I want to go tonight. But I want to draw your attention first and foremost to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And uh, I'm going to read to you from there. In just one moment. Is there anybody here tonight. That feels like. At some point in your life. In that moment. You felt like you were so weary. You didn't know if you were going to make it. Have you ever been there? I'm talking about. Frustrated. Weary. Tired. Exhausted. From, from the same old monotonous thing. Maybe a sickness, maybe a family member, maybe a, a child, maybe a spouse, maybe a sibling. Something had you so wore out that you just didn't know if you were going to make it. I'm talking about late awake all night, tossing, turning. I want to ask you all a question tonight. How in the world are you still here? You know how? Because you don't control what you were worried about. You don't control what had you so weary. You don't control what had your mind so mentally wore out. You don't control that. It's a hard lesson to learn. But sometimes we've just got to let God be God. And let us do what we can do. Jesus said it like this. He said you couldn't worry about. One cubit of your stature. You couldn't worry enough to add one cubit to your stature. You can't worry enough to fix it. But if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, pastor, I don't know about so-and-so. They're not. Don't worry about so-and-so. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. If you believe it, shout amen. We're going to read tonight from 2 Samuel, and then I'm going to move you very briefly, very quickly, um, expeditiously, that's a good word, to Galatians chapter 6. So we will begin in 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, so you can let out a big sigh of relief. This is... This is a very powerful chapter, actually, if you want to go back and read it later. It's, uh, it's the record of the last living words of King David, the last words that he said in his life. And then it begins to reveal to us a little bit of history in Israel and lists us David's mighty men. David's mighty men. And uh, as it begins to mention them, I want to deal specifically with the second mighty man whose name was Eliezer in verse number 9. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 9. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men of David. One of the three. When they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. 
this means he was by himself. Okay? Eliezer fighting the Philistines and Israel that's supposed to be his partners run off. And he's, he's all alone. Verse 10. He arose. He arose. And when he rose, he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand clave unto the sword. That sounds painful, doesn't it? Have you ever gripped something so long it was hard to get your hand off of it? A chainsaw, a hammer, been working in the cold and your hand stuck to it. And I kind of pried off and said, Eliezer fought with his sword until his hand was stuck on it. Watch this though. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And when everybody else returned, when the Israelites came back, when all the quote-unquote mighty men came back, there was nothing but spoil because God wrought a great victory. Now, I'm fixing to preach my sermon right here, okay, and then we're going to talk to you for about 25 or 30 minutes. God wrought victory through a man that just wouldn't quit swinging. <laughs> He just kept right on swinging. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse number 7. We're going to visit three verses very quickly. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let's read this together. And let us be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let us be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword and the Lord wrought victory that day. I need y'all to help me right here from the start. I want you to look at your neighbor and issue a challenge. Like square your shoulders up like you really mean it right now. Look somebody right smack dab in the middle of the eyeball and tell them keep on swinging. Keep on swinging and you may be seated in Jesus name. Praise God. <clears throat> I don't like to usually use analogies from sports or something like that unless there's a really good principle lying behind it of which there is about this story that I'm getting ready to tell you. There was a gentleman played Major League Baseball. His name was George Shuba. He played in the late 40s and early 50s. They called him George Shotgun. 
his probably biggest claim to fame as far as notoriety being concerned in photography, in the news, or whatever, happened on April 18th, 1946, when Jackie Robinson made his debut as the first black player in the modern era of the major leagues. He hit a three-run homer over the left field fence in the third inning of his first game. And as he crossed home plate, the batter up, the one that was on deck, was George Shotgun Shuba. He extended his hand in a congratulatory gesture, and that photo has gone down in infamy, shaking the hands of Jackie Robinson. And it was a, a small gesture of kindness to George Shuba. Jackie was just one of the teammates of the rest of the world that was trying to figure out that we were all created in the image of God. It was a great big step for humanity. Because it showed the world. That we can be human beings and exist together. And that we can do the right thing. And that nobody's going to fall over dead if they do the right thing. Isn't that something? It'd be amazing if we could learn that in this country. And so he shook hands with him. Well that was the fame the picture that brought fame to George Shuba. But he went on to play seven seasons for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was on the 1955 World Championship team. In his celebrated book that was called The Boys of Summer, author Roger Kahn said, Shuba's swing was as natural as his smile. Shuba laughed at Khan's description during an interview with Khan. Shuba walked over to a filing cabinet, pulled out a chart marked with a lot of X's on it. During the off-season, hear me, this is crazy, Shuba would swing a weighted bat 600 times a day. And that was after working his off-season job all day. Every night he would take 60 swings and then mark an X on his chart. After 10 X's, he'd give himself permission to go to bed. He practiced that daily routine for 15 years. After explaining, Shuba looked at Khan and he said, do you call that natural? He said, I swung a 44-ounce bat 600 times a night, 4,200 times a week, 47,200 swings every, win every winter. That is not natural. Shuba had a mindset. That if anybody's going to make me successful in this game, it's going to be me. He didn't stand up in the morning and pray to the Lord God Almighty and say, Lord, make me a better Christian. He didn't stand up and say, Lord, make me more faithful. He didn't stand up and say, Lord, make me more successful. 
But he picked up his bat when nobody was in the stands cheering. When no coach was over there saying, go take some batting practice. And when there wasn't even a ball to swing at, he just kept on swinging 600 times every day. People wonder why in the world we pray before we come to a trial. They wonder why we dance when everything is all right. They wonder why we shout, why we clap our hands and we lift our voice and there's nothing wrong. I want to tell you why. Because there will come a time when my praise is all I've got. I want to tell you right now, the only time God hears from me does not need to be when I'm down in a valley and I've got no joy. Every now and then you got to step up and just keep on swinging when there's nobody to encourage you and there's nobody to lift you up. You've got to step up and say, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you everything I've got. Hallelujah. 600 times a night, 4,200 times a week, 47,200 swings in the off season. Somebody say off season. (laughs) 47,200 times. Why do you keep asking God for the same thing over and over and over? When are you going to get a clue that God's not going to answer you? When are you going to get a clue that God's not going to bless you what you're asking for? Can I tell you right now, say whatever you want to say about me. If it takes me 47,200 times to walk up to this altar and give God praise for what he's yet to do, I'm going to give him praise every day. I'm going to keep on blessing God for your lost children. I'm going to keep on blessing God for the prodigal. I'm going to keep on blessing God for your lost husbands. I'm going to keep on blessing God for your lost wives. I'm going to keep on blessing God for revival in this city. I'm going to keep on giving God praise until every drug house is closed in Madison County. I'm going to give God praise until every raped woman, every molested child, every homosexual until they know there is a place of healing in the house of God. It's a principle that you can continue to preach. You can walk through the pages of the scripture and you can find it there. But I want to tell you right now, if you think that Daniel learned to pray three times a day in Babylon, you've lost your mind. Prayer was not something Daniel learned to do in Babylon. Prayer was a lifestyle Daniel had before he ever got to the trouble. And if you think his three friends that would not bow just made up their mind when the music started playing, it's probably not a good idea. You have completely missed the mark. At some point, you've got to understand that you can't just give him praise when the victory has come. Every now and then, you've got to give him praise for what you feel down deep inside. It may look hopeless right now. It may not look like victory's anywhere to be found but I'm going to give him praise if there's anything we're guilty of it's judging the outcome by the evidence (laughs) I have a hard time sometimes seeing past the end of my nose 
Because I get worried that tomorrow's going to be just like today. Come on now. The old proverb. I've heard some folks say it's in the scripture, but it's really not. The old proverb said, this too shall pass. It came from an old ancient proverb. It was said of a wise king. He said, this too shall pass. And he wasn't just talking about the bad things. He said, if, even if you're in a good season, just wait a little bit. Because this too shall pass. I know right now you're having a hard time rejoicing with other people because they're going through a good season. But if you'll rejoice with them who rejoice. They're going to rejoice with you when you come out of this season. You've got to quit telling God every day how dark it is, how low it is, how bad it is, how terrible it is. Sometimes you just got to square up and say, I defy the evidence. I defy the evidence. I have had to learn some difficult lessons in life, in ministry, that... You can't judge destiny by temporary circumstances. I've had weekends where I felt like, man, we were really getting momentum. God was doing great things. And then a holiday weekend shows up. You wonder why everybody hates God. <laughs> They've all ran off and forsaken and you're hanging on your own cross of pity saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why has hell forsaken you? He hasn't forsaken you. It's a holiday weekend. People are going to travel. People are going to do things. People are going to go away. You know, I think probably one of the major flaws in humanity is that when it's happening in our world, it is the world. It's probably a little touchy right there, isn't it? It's like because we're going through it, when we get up, everybody we pass in the mall should know how bad it is for us. And you walk past a kind soul who says, hello, how are you today? And you have this conversation in your mind that you know you really shouldn't even open your mouth at all. Because this conversation's going in your mind. He ought to know what kind of mood I'm in right now. If he only knew, he wouldn't be asking me that right now. And this conversation is just happening. All of this happens in the split second before you say, just fine, thank you. And I'm so glad that you did. But it's like when it's happening in our world. You understand what I'm saying? You may lose a family member. Someone may pass away and it's the darkest season of your life. And you go to a restaurant. And when you get to the restaurant, tables of people are laughing. Smiling, cutting up, having a good time. Your kids act like they're full of the devil, run off doing dumb stuff, and they're over there laughing, smiling with their kid. You're like, why couldn't my kids be cool? <laughs> See, I've, I've been listening to your brain. Why do my kids have to be so stupid? Man, we go on with it. I don't know. I don't know. My mom sure didn't treat me like that. It's like when it's our world, it's the world. I, it, it, man, if we're going through it, you know, it's just it's, it's terrible. Sometimes I hate to answer the phone when my friends call me and, and 
I saw on Facebook that they had a great weekend. 742 got baptized in Jesus' name. We could have drained our baptistry for the last six weeks and hadn't baptized nobody. And they're going to call me and tell me something good. I'm like, I don't even want to talk to them. I don't even, I don't even want to hear a good report because then I'm going to have to say, I rejoice with you. And I sat in the office tonight dealing with so-and-so and such-and-such. You know, it's like when it's our world, it's sea world. You think because your husband talked ugly to you on his way to work that every woman's husband should have been rude to him this morning. Come on now, somebody. Boy, I'm preaching better than I think I've ever preached right there. You hold every man in the world accountable for that last mean thing he said when he walked out the door. Thank God men don't hold grudges like that, elder. Amen. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> he said, bless him, Lord. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, it feels sometimes like everything's going to be over in the world because it feels like it's over in your world. But I want you to put yourself in the position of a man who is facing an adversary. Remember, this is at the death of David. That this man is mentioned. It's the last words of David. And Eliezer is fighting a Philistine army. You remember when David was a boy. Before he ever sat on the throne in Judah. And finally over all the tribes of Israel. There was a giant that was a Philistine. This was an old battle. This was an old rivalry. This was an army that would not learn their lesson. They just kept on coming against the children of God. They just kept on attacking the Israelites. Do you know why the Philistines wouldn't leave them alone? Because Israel had something that the Philistines wanted. Let that sink in your coffee cup for a second. Do you know why the devil won't leave you alone? Do you know why he keeps pecking on you? You know why he keeps troubling you? Because you have in your possession something that he wants. I wish the devil just leave my family alone. Well, I know how to make it happen. Give in. You know how to feel perfect, perfect peace about what you've been fighting with? Just quit fighting. That's the best way to get perfect peace about it. Just quit fighting. Or hang on till victory comes. I'm not here tonight to pop any balloons. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't, man, I certainly don't want to make anybody leave here feeling defeated. I'm going to tell you something, church family. I've looked all through the scripture. I can't find anywhere that there's any in-between between winning and losing. You either win or you lose. You're either in or you're out. Come on, preach to me. You're either saved. Oh, my God, that's good preaching. I said you're either saved or you're lost. There's no in-between. There's no such thing as a halfway victory with Jesus. The only time it's a halfway victory is if you're halfway there and you give up. But the Philistines wouldn't leave the children of Israel alone because Israel had something that they wanted. 
And so the word of the Lord leads us to understand that this second mighty man who was mentioned. When I was a boy, Bishop Bingham preached a message called the spirit of Dodo's boy. Eliezer's dad's name was Dodo. It was a spirit of a boy that would just fight until the fight was over. But follow me very quickly when I tell you that the reason Eliezer is mentioned. Again, please don't let this discourage you. The reason Eliezer is mentioned in the Bible, you got your seatbelts on, is because he actually had to fight something. Boy, that right there went over like a zipper at a Velcro convention. (laughs) He actually had to fight something to get victory. You can be seated. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I don't know why I got to go through all this. We like singing about victory. We like preaching about victory. We don't like winning victory. Can I tell you about the old time church I grew up in? There were people who didn't have victory that got out in a victory march and marched. Not because they had victory, but because they needed victory. There were people that understood what David was doing when he was leaping for joy. He didn't leap because of joy. He leapt for joy. There's a difference in leaping because I've got joy and leaping because I need some joy. Back in the day, we had hands of praise in the church, you know. Happy finger signs, sign language. And they did this song. I don't even remember who did it. Somebody will know. It was a catchy little tune. It said, I got, got the victory. I got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Yes, I do. Yolanda Adams is who it was, wasn't it? I got, got the victory. I got, and they're like, Oh, man. They get up there and talk about the victory. Man, we get up and sing about victory. We get up and preach about victory. Bishop, it's amazing. We can come out of a victory service. I'm talking about mud stomping, devil stomping, hell slinging, bobby pin slinging church. We don't have much of that no more. We used to judge how good the service was, Brother Hansel, by how many times the sweeper went. Because <laughs> you know old sister so-and-so got up there. One night I thought we was going to have to call the ambulance when two of our young people took off running around the old sanctuary in two different directions. Because all good things must come to an end. They had victory halfway around. But when they turned that final corner and their eyes were still closed, victory was over. And we were picking 
Amanda Christ up off the floor over by the piano because the other runner was Brother Bry. My God, they were both in the spirit, and he turned that corner just churning, and she came around just a-waving, and I heard, <laughs> it was over. There was no more victory in the house. Isn't it fun to laugh in church? Man, I've got up and preached on victory. I've got up and preached on how God can bring you out, and before I get to the back door, Brother Horner, I get one of those, um, Pastor, you got five minutes. That is a lie. I have never had a five-minute meeting last five minutes, ever. And when you walk in the door, say, have a seat, make yourself at home. And they say, I don't know how in the world I'm going to come through this. I don't either. I don't. Because if the idea in your mind from the get-go is it's always going to be this way, then that's the way it's always going to be. If you've already resigned yourself to the fact this is as good as it gets, I'm stuck in this position. God has ceased to be greater than my trouble. Well, I wouldn't say that. You don't have to. Actions speak louder than words. And I've seen it when God hasn't answered and it's obvious that your revelation of who he is is built on the disappointment of what he didn't do. Because we cease to praise him and bless him because we do not have an answer. But can I remind you that David did not wait until the ark made it to Jerusalem to start dancing. The Bible said when they left Obed's house, they took six paces and David stopped and danced. He did not dance because the answer was in Jerusalem. He danced because it was six steps closer than it was just a few minutes ago. Somebody's got to get it in your mind. You just got to keep swinging. You got to keep blessing God. You got to keep on praying. You got to keep on believing. Keep on praying. Keep on fasting. God is faithful. Sometimes we could all use a little encouragement. Rut row. The little old young, probably teenage girl, maybe her early 20s, just minding her own business and planning her wedding. And all of a sudden, Brother Jordan, this angel shows up, says, Hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. So, oh, good. I'm getting married. Nope. Before you get married, God's about to do something. Man, I felt the Holy Ghost right here. God's about to do something in you that nobody's going to understand. You know, it's not a normal thing for people to get a visit from an angel and the next day start swelling in their belly. But the miracle that was in her God was greater than the naysayers talking on the outside of her 
What God is trying to do in me tonight is more powerful than anybody that's got anything to say about what God is doing in me. But you can imagine, there's some rough conversations that's fixing to come up. I got to talk to old Joe about this. I got to sit down with Joseph. He knows. Although the family considers him to be my husband, we haven't consummated this marriage. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I've got to tell him, according to the law, sweet meat, we're about to have some issues. But you got to believe me. I've never known a man. And all of a sudden, doubts had to fill her mind. People are not going to understand what God is doing in my life right now. Brothers and sisters, I feel like encouraging somebody. When God begins to do the miraculous in your life, there may be people that don't understand what he's doing, but that cannot dictate your faithfulness through the process. She talked to Joseph. Joseph said, man, that's a lot to swallow. I don't, I don't know what I can do about this. I, the Bible said he, he was going to put her away. Had to put her away. and He knew what happened with that because the law said during betrothal, the only reason you had to put her away is if you found out she hadn't been faithful, told you the truth. And the law said that if he puts her away, then they're going to take her to the gate and they're going to stone her and they're going to kill her. He said, man, I can't deal with that. I love her, but I can't deal with this either. You've never been in the will of God until you've got so many questions you can't find answers. Oh, God, that was pretty good preaching right there. I'm talking about you have never had to exercise faith until you had to walk without seeing the next step you're taking. If, it's, if it wasn't faith, then we could walk by sight. And all of a sudden, that same angel that came to her came to him because heaven knows if you'll be faithful in the process that God will give you some faith sympathizers that will come up along beside you and say, I still don't understand how God's going to do it, but I'm going to link myself up to you arm to arm, and we're going to walk through this thing together. It doesn't matter if people criticize us. It doesn't matter what people say about us. That which is conceived in us is of the Holy Ghost. I probably shouldn't say this, but I feel like it's preach worthy. You do understand that not one negative remark or comment made by anybody around her could kill the baby within her. I wish you'd have said that, Bishop. If, you, if you'd have said that right there, this place would have went nuts because you got it. I said no negativity or anything said about her could kill the baby within her. It's about time to declare that you care more about the baby than you do what they've got to say about the baby. You don't have to understand. It's a work of God. He's still working on me. He's doing a work inside of me. You don't have to understand it, but I believe it. Yeah. 
That makes me want to take off running, but I wouldn't be able to finish preaching. What do you think so-and-so is going to think about it? Don't matter. But there was an opinion that mattered to her. And it was her cousin. Because her husband was a, a priest. And so she went over to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house because she trusted him. And when she walked through the door. Man, I wish I could preach this right now. When she walked through the door, the miracle inside of Elizabeth testified of the miracle inside of Mary. There is something that happens when people get together in the Holy Ghost. That if I can believe with my sister, the Holy Ghost in me will testify of the Holy Ghost in you. Walked through the door. She didn't have to say a word. Look at your neighbor and tell him, hold your peace. Mary comes walking through the door. Man, I wish I had time for all this tonight. Mary comes walking through the door. She says, Elizabeth, you're six months ahead of me in the process. You've got a little more wisdom than I do. Oh, God. You're walking a road that I'm getting ready to walk. It would be something if we as the body of Christ would use what we've been through to be a blessing to somebody that's going through what we've already been through. Understand me that Mary did not need Elizabeth to bless her. But it was a game changer when Mary walked in and Elizabeth said, Blessed art thou, Mary. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Because there shall be a performance of those things which have been spoken unto you. Can I tell you right now, it would do somebody some good if we could get a spirit of agreement in the church. That when somebody comes to tell you about what God is doing, we begin to rejoice with them. And say, I'm touching God with you. God will perform what he said he will perform. I don't understand, Mary. I don't know how God's going to do it I don't know why God chose you but God's gonna do it Mm. we gotta we gotta be careful gotta be careful because if we're not careful we'll start comparing miracles oh God Uh, I didn't plan on staying here this long but I got to help somebody. He said, if we're not careful, we're going to start comparing miracles. Well, why did God just give me John and shut Zechariah's mouth? I mean, why couldn't God have used me to let his Savior be birthed through? And get jealous of Mary because God's doing a work in Mary that he's not doing in me. 
And all of a sudden you get jealous because you're not real sure that the work in you is as great as what God is doing in somebody else. But what she had to understand is that the miracle that was in her was the forerunner of what God was doing in Mary. In other words, God needed the miracle in Elizabeth to be given birth to so that he could stand up and declare, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. What was inside of Elizabeth would stand at the bank of the river and would declare, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin. We're not in a miracle comparing business. When somebody else walks in with a miracle in their womb, I'm just going to rejoice with them and say, I am rejoicing with you, and every word that God has said will come to pass. Whatever God said he would do, he's going to do. I'm declaring to you right now, Mary, if God said it, he's going to do it. Don't you worry about who blesses you and who curses you. Don't you worry about who understands you and who don't understand you. Don't worry about who owns you or who disowns you. Don't worry about what they got to say because God is doing a work in your life. I don't know why it's hard for people to get because living for God's the greatest party I've ever seen in my life. But people are so funny because they take people that live hard in the world, you know, dance and cut up and groove and do drugs and all that stuff. It's like they don't ever care until they start doing right. There was something that always amazed me when I was, when I was, in youth ministry. In my early days of youth ministry, it used to drive me crazy, especially when I came home because I knew so much about the inner workings of people's families and all that. And we'd have, we'd have young kids in the church that their moms and dads let them go to dances and stay out late and ball games and all this crazy stuff, staying out late, running around town with their boyfriends. They'd go to one youth rally and the church bus be 20 minutes later than we were supposed to be. And they'd ground their kids from going to the next youth event. Didn't care if they was out hot rodding, running around after the dance. But let them come to church and boy, you're going to get an earful. They didn't, they didn't call the principal. But they're going to call the youth pastor. They're going to call the bishop. They're, hey, why did you get my kid home so late? Well, because... They were laying in the floor speaking in other tongues. Ain't nobody going to help me up in here tonight. I'm going to tell you right now. If there's anything I want my kids to grow to love. It ain't the Friday night lights of a football field. But may it be the Friday night lights of a youth rally. Dancing, shouting, blessing the name of Jesus. Lifting him on high. Ain't got nothing to say about it when you're blowing all your money, snorting it up your nose, sticking it in your arm. You come to the house of God and they're like, what's got into you? I suppose you're goody two-shoes now. What'd you do? Get religion? 
Nope. But it sure did get me. <laughs> well, I remember when you used to fight at the drop of a hat, I hadn't quit fighting. You just can't see my fights. Because I'm different now. Man, you used to come dance with us all the time. Yeah, I'm still dancing. I just switched partners. You come dance with me anytime you want to on a Sunday night. Because when the choir gets up and starts singing, oh, Lord, we echo your victory. Lord, we echo your authority. I feel like I got to get out and dance a little bit. It ain't because I've got the victory. It's because I'm believing victory's on the way. Uh, something's about to happen up in here right now. And so, Eliezer is mentioned in the book because he actually had to fight to get victory. Can you imagine being a child of God in the will of God and having to face resistance? Isn't that terrible? That's awful, man. Ezra was one big old long book, but they felt like dividing it up. And the end of it, they called Nehemiah. You know why? Because he had a bad day. And he found out that the city that he lived in had burned to the ground. And so they called the end of the book of Ezra Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah had to go through some stuff in order to find out that he's not just a God that builds a city. He's a God that can rebuild. Oh, you don't want to help me right now. I'm talking about there's not anything you can go through that can burn you down low enough that there's not something under the ashes of what has been broken that God can't find. It said that under the rubbish, there was enough to rebuild the wall and the people had a mind to work. You know what that means? That means I'm not intimidated by what yesterday brought me because tomorrow looks like a better wall than it was today. you imagine that? Y'all do know that if Mary wouldn't have had Jesus in her womb, we would have never heard about her. Ever. For no reason. And when they mentioned the 12 apostles and the 120 and also the mother of Jesus in the upper room, we wouldn't have heard about that. But the reason we heard about her is because she had to go through some stuff in order to be in the pages of the book and found faithful. I don't know why God didn't just give Abraham Isaac and let him have Isaac and forget about it, but God wanted to be sure that he didn't love Isaac more than he loved him. Mm. Be seated. Sometimes you're going to have to carry some stuff up mountains that you don't want to climb and build altars that you don't want to build and go through things you don't want to go through. But that becomes irrelevant when you know that if God before us Eliezer is standing there fighting the Philistines and he looks around Brother Stephen and his right hand wingman runs off. He looks to his left hand and the guy that's always had his back runs off. 
and everybody that he's been used to fighting together with, they run off and they leave him. But Eliezer understood that what I do cannot be predicated on what my brother does. If this battle's going to be fought, I'm going to have to stay here and I'm going to have to fight. If everybody else runs off and leaves, I've got to keep on swinging. If nobody else keeps fighting, I've got to keep on fighting. When there ain't nobody else dancing, I'm going to step out and dance. When it ain't nobody else praying, I'm going to keep on praying. But I've got to keep swinging. Forty-seven thousand two hundred times swinging with nothing to swing at, because he knew the day would come that there would be a curveball that come just across the outside of the plate. That for the preparation that I made, it'll give me that one moment of glory when I round third base and the crowd is cheering. Can I tell you right now that we are surrounded with a great crowd of witnesses? But they're not just clapping for you because you showed up tonight. They're clapping for you because. Because you didn't have to show up tonight and you showed up anyway. They're not just... They're not just clapping for you because you worship. They're clapping because you didn't feel like worship and you went ahead and worshiped anyhow. You got my back? There's another field. Anybody with me? I'm getting tired. I don't know if I can do it. There's one more. Here he comes. Oh, Oh God, I'm tired. Keep on swinging. Gotta keep on swinging. God, I've been praying, and my family hadn't come. But what if this Sunday's a Sunday? Ah, I feel like I'm about to have a fit up in here right now. I've been asking God to bring my children in. But if I miss this weekend, this might be the one they show up. This is free. I'm not going to preach this. I'm just going to mention this. You ever wonder what would have happened? If the prodigal would have came home and his dad would have been gone. That was free, Bishop. Because honestly, that's the way the Pharisees told the story. The Pharisees told the story that when he came home, there was nobody there. But Jesus said, when the boy was yet a far way off, that his father looked up and saw him. He said, I didn't leave. You know why there was a fatted calf at home? Because daddy went to the stall every day and said, I'm going to keep feeding that calf. Why would you feed a calf? Because I'm planning on a party. What are you planning on a party for? For my boy? Well, your boy's not here, but I got to feed it one more day. I'm going to, hey! I'm going to keep on swinging. I'm going to keep on feeding. I'm going to keep on trying. I'm going to keep on going. Why are you still feeding that cow? Because my boy's coming home. Why are you still swinging? Because there's another devil to defeat. There's another Philistine to destroy. There's another enemy to take down. But I refuse to quit. 
I'm looking for somebody on Sunday night that quit is not in your vocabulary. You're not worried about who walked away. You're still standing. You're not worried about who discarded their sword. You're still swinging. You're still swinging. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 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 He didn't say stand still and catch their breath. He said, I'm going to let them run and be their strength. They're going to run and not be weary. They're going to walk and not faint. He never told them to stop. He said, when you get weary, keep on running. I'll sustain you. battle was over Eliezer realized God may have brought the victory but it's my hand that's stuck to the sword and this is the living proof that God will never do for you what you can do for yourself you're not going to win battles that you run off with everybody else you're you're, you're not going to win When everybody else throws their sword in, so you just throw yours away because they did. You've heard me say this, and I'll say it till I die. But I don't come to this church every week because I'm expecting there to be a house full. I mean, I am. But I'm telling you the honest to God's truth, if it wasn't nobody but me and my family, we'd be here. I'm going to be here. Because while I love being with you, I don't come for you. I come because I've been believing for a long time that I've got some lost family that one of these Sundays, one of these Wednesday nights, I'm going to look up and they're going to walk through that back door. I'm going to be here every week because there's some prodigals that I've been seeking God for for a long time. Y'all may not be on the same page with me, but I've been seeking God for this anniversary homecoming weekend. I've already already had visions. I'm not blaming God. I'm saying I've had visions in my heart of what I want God to do. And Sister Doris, I've watched people in my visions walk through the doors of this church that their hearts have become hardened and they've walked away from God. To sit down in this church while the singing and the music and the preaching is going on and tears flow down their face. And then make their way to the front of this church and God restore them and fill them with the Holy Ghost. And there's nothing that anybody can say to me that can take that miracle away from me. I am believing tonight that the only thing we can do is keep the sword in our hand and keep on swinging. When we don't understand, keep on swinging. Keep fighting. Keep going. We win.